I want to start this episode off with saying I think that we have a very good NBA Finals lined up. Very, very good. I think it'll be better than most expect. We have one of the most fun offenses versus the best defense in the league. And I think we're going to have a great, great, great series. We're going to cover that and some more here today on Cut to the Chase. As always, I'm your host, Chase Williams. And you all know I'm a big Heat fan, so we have to start by talking about Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. We could talk about the whole series, but then we'd be here all day. The Heat had a huge Game 6, forced Game 7 when no one expected to. There's a few things I want to focus on. We're going to start off with the Max Struess 3. I think you all know what I'm talking about. Beginning of the third quarter, the Heat start off hot. Max Schroes hits a three, makes it like a two-point ball game. Two minutes go by of game time, five minutes of real time. Come back from a commercial break. You hear the PA announcer in the background as they're coming back before Mark Jones stepping in for Mike Brain even tells you anything. That three-pointer from Max Schroes has been deemed no good. He stepped out of bounds. If you haven't... Google it. Look on Twitter, ESPN, whatever it may be. You'll see it. It is so close. So, so, so close. I'm not saying he's not stepped out. I'm not saying he has stepped out. I'm just saying it was close. It was real, real, real close. And so I always understand the review rule as it has to be clear evidence for them to overturn something. And so with that, how did they overturn this? That's that is a massive question for me. Is It's not so much of was it the right call or the wrong call, but where was the clear evidence? Because I haven't seen it. And, you know, maybe I just not meant to be a referee. I'm not. I want to talk about sports, not officiate sports. But that was crucial, especially coming down the line. As you all know, the Heat were down 5 to 12 points almost the whole game. Came back, were down 2, and Jimmy Butler, with about 12 seconds left, pulled up for 3 on the fast break. We'll talk about that in a second. If that Max Struess 3 had counted... The Heat would have been up one at that point. Granted, I do think the whole game is different, you know. But, nonetheless, that Max Struess three was huge. The Heat lost by four points. Jimmy Butler does not take that three-pointer in that scenario. If they have three extra points, who knows what's different. Eric Spolstra said it in the press conference. That changed a lot. That did change momentum. But, you know, with about... 80, 90, 100 seconds to go. I really thought it was over for the Heat. I really thought it was over for the Heat. And they came back. Oladipo hit some shots. Jimmy hit some shots. They were playing good defense. And Jimmy, on the fast break, as I mentioned, pulled up for three. He had Al Horford backpedaling. And it's been a big question. He missed the shot. If he hit the shot, they're in the lead. Was that the shot to take? Obviously, Jimmy said he has the backing of his 
teammates bolsters back to him. He felt like it was the right shot, and I understand all of this. But to me, Jimmy Butler is best at driving, attacking, drawing contact, and getting fouled. I think he could have drove there and at the very least got fouled. And knowing him and the way he's been playing in Game 6 as well as in Game 7, he may have even hit the shot, which means we would have had that old-fashioned three-point play, as I like to call it. And then he'd take the lead anyways. It was a really tough way to see the Heat go out. I, I, I tweeted out on my Twitter this morning that it was just now settling in that the Heat were losing. And also, by the way, you all should go follow my Heat. I mean, follow my Twitter, excuse me. You should go follow the Heat on Twitter, too. They have a great Twitter. Uh, but Willie Chase, W-I-L-L-I, Chase by name. Go follow it. It's maybe where some of you all found me, but just a little self-promo in there. I'd say all of this, but the Heat did lose that game in multiple ways, you know? They came out really, really flat. Uh, there were a lot of times where they weren't defending very well. I mean, I remember... Uh, play late in the second half where Marcus Smart slipped, or maybe it was in the third quarter, but he slipped the screen and just no one came down and collapsed on him. And he had a nice little floater very, very close to the rim. Uh, plays like that hurt the Heat all night long. I mean, speaking of my Twitter, I tweeted about, about it. Uh, but they missed tons of free throws. That was huge. And it was because they were tired. Jimmy Butler had played all but two minutes in the last few games. Kyle Lowry had been playing a bunch after sitting out. They missed free throws. There's a lot of things that lost the Heat this game, but it was tough. Nonetheless, the Celtics had a fantastic series. They came out hot in Game 7. They pushed the pace. They made adjustments they had to make. It was very impressive to watch. Because of that, we have NBA Finals of the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. We're going to take a quick break. I know it's early, but we're going to take that quick break. Come back and preview all of the NBA Finals. Welcome back into Cut to the Chase. You're on the Finals Preview Podcast. I've been gone for a while. I haven't even talked about the NBA playoffs for the most part. Well, don't you worry. We have the Finals Preview Podcast here, and we will be doing game recaps. I don't know about every game. I'm going to try to do most of the games. Game one's a guarantee. I think game two is a guarantee. Um, game one will probably be posted late. Game two probably won't be till the next morning. But there will be a definitely a lot of recaps throughout for the most part. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am another self-promo. I am doing an internship with the Quincy Gyms. Uh, it's a collegiate-level baseball team in the Prospect League. And so we do have games a lot of those nights. So tune into those on Prospect League TV if you want. Um, but after those games, I'll come back and watch the finals, full finals games, and try to do recaps, unless I'm absolutely exhausted. But let's hop right into it here. Finals preview. Let's start off with a lot of the important things. First of all, experience. When you look at the experience of these two rosters, whether it's the coaching staff or the players, it favors the Golden State Warriors. 123 finals of games collective on the Warriors roster. Or about. I could be a few off, but I will tell you this. I know the Celtics number. It's a big fat zero. That experience is going to be huge, I think, early on in the series. excuse me, The series starting in Golden State, them having the experience, them having the rest. One of those first two games are going to be a blowout. I 
feel that I am strongly predicting that right now. The experience, the rest, the home court advantage. Golden State is going to dominate one of those two games. But you also got to think about it this way. Sometimes a team who has a large time to rest, to not play basketball, not be in a competitive game, sometimes comes out flat. That's why I'm not guaranteeing you it's game one. But I do feel like one of those two games is going to be a massive blowout for the Golden State Warriors. Experience is going to be crucial. I also think later in the series, you could see that experience come back into play. Granted, the Celtics have played in two Game 7s this year. Jason Tatum's been accustomed to Game 7s in his career. And the series will have done a lot by that point. The second big thing is health. On the Celtics side, we have Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. On the Warriors side, we have Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton II. These injuries could be huge. The Celtics have shown their guys are going to play. Gary Payton is supposed to come back possibly during the finals. Otto Porter is day-to-day. I think that the Celtics are in a good position with their health. Robert Williams concerns me a little bit. Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, not so much. What can they get out of Robert Williams is very, very important to me. Gary Payne, does he come back? Is he rusty? Otto Porter, how healthy is he? I have more question marks about the Warriors players than I do, honestly, about the Celtics. So with that, I'm more concerned, and I think health favors the Celtics, even though we've talked about their injuries a lot more than we've seen the Warriors injuries be talked about. Gary Payne's just been out, but we've seen Robert Williams and Marcus Smart playing through injuries. I'll be very interested to see if they're really even questionable for a lot of these games, unless something happens. I also, I, this goes with the experience, but how do the Celtics act never playing in a finals game? Not a single player on their roster has. How do they deal with that? That is a very, very important to me and my opinion. I think just the playoff experience and the leadership they have on their team and the way they've come back from being under 500 and being 25 and 25 at one point, not losing back-to-back games since January, I believe, will be huge for this team. I'm not that worried about it. I do think experience will get the Warriors at least a blowout, as I mentioned, combined with other things. But I think this is a big talking point in the media that isn't going to show up. Players shine on the largest stage. The Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Jason Tatum showed up. Jalen Brown showed up. Marcus Smart showed up. I wouldn't be that worried if I was the Celtics. I think matchups are very interesting in this series, especially Golden State's offense versus the defense of Boston. Of course, you'll see Smart on Curry, Jalen Brown on Clay as well as then Tatum on Wiggins, Horford on Dre, Williams on Looney. That'll be, make sense. That will make sense. That's why everyone expects one guarding one, two playing two, etc., etc. But the way they adapt and they change, you know, this team can always switch things up so, so quickly. Curry goes off against Smart. Marcus Smart is a great defender, don't get me wrong, but... Steph Curry is one of the best offensive players NBA has ever seen. 
They can switch Jalen Brown on him, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, different guys. There's not many big men I'd really trust to guard. I mean, you see what Steph Curry's done to people like Rudy Gobert. And I'm not saying I think Robert Williams is going to do a great job on him. But Robert Williams is someone I trust to play better defense, more in a help scenario than most other people his size and his position and the way he plays I just I have more trust I think this this matchup is going to be what makes or breaks the finals in my opinion how well does the offense of Golden State get going against the defense of Boston I'm gonna I I never once mentioned injuries when we talked about the Eastern Conference Finals and uh, the Heat multiple times scored just about 80 points, way lower than they should have. And I think part of that is injuries, but part of that is Boston having the best defense in the NBA. And I think we're going to see that, and it's going to be huge here. This is not a series that is going to be Warriors in five, Warriors in six. It could be Warriors in six, so it'll be a very good series. I, I think this defense, how Boston matches up against Golden State's offense it's going to be very interesting also with the bench as well. The bench, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard versus Jordan Poole. That is kind of the matchup I'm looking at. It's the guard play versus Jordan Poole. You can also throw Gary Payton in there if you want, um, but he's injured. Who knows when he's going to come back. White and Pritchard have to be able to get close to matching what Jordan Poole does. be very interesting. I think we're going to see... Jalen Brown play extended minutes to then guard Jordan Poole when he's out there. Because if you have Peyton Pritchard guarding Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole is going for 25, 30 points off the bench every single game. Jordan Poole is like that. You know who's not like that on the defensive end for the Celtics? Peyton Pritchard. He has to be good on offense or he will be out, out of the rotation very quickly. You look at Game 7, Payne Pritchard played only two minutes. That is because he is a defensive liability. That is huge. He has to put something into this offense because I don't think Derek Wright, White is going to match Jordan Poole more than once, and that's going to be Jordan Poole having a lower game than normal probably. So you need Payne Pritchard to be able to score off the bench for the Celtics, or we'll see him play six minutes in Game 1 and in that green warm-up shirt for the rest of the series. Jordan Poole could be huge in this series. I'll tell you what I think the biggest X factor is, how much Jordan Poole scores. The Celtics are a great defensive team and have some really good offensive weapons, hit some great shots, stuff like that, but their bench does not compare to Jordan Poole. Yes, I'm saying just Jordan Poole. You look at the Warriors roster, they are good they are great you know they have Jordan Poole they have Otto Porter Jr. Jonathan Kaminga Juan Toscano Anderson even though he hasn't been playing a ton they've got Andre Iguodala possibly Damian Lee Moses Moody different just all types of different people that they can put in in different places but Jordan Poole can single-handedly make this series not a series if they don't get the offensive production from their bench, especially those two guards, Derek White, who is a certified Miami Heat killer anymore. <sighs> We're not going to talk about that. 
and Peyton Pritchard, who we know can hit big shots and be a big help off the bench, if they cannot put at least 75 to 80% of the input that Jordan Poole does, it's going to be tough because that's the thing. The Celtics defense, I don't want to say lacks once their starters go out, but at least on the guard side, it does take a step down. That's why I think you're always going to see Brown or Smart stay out there to guard Jordan Poole, at least at first. And I still think Poole goes off. Maybe that's because I absolutely love Jordan Poole. But if Jordan Poole puts up 20 points a game off the bench, the Warriors win it. The Warriors win it. I don't think there's any chance that that the Celtics have. But if Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Derek White, because those are the guys I see guarding Jordan Poole, not Peyton Pritchard. He is done for if he has to guard Jordan Poole. If they can slow him down and Poole's only scoring somewhere between 12 and 15, 16 points a game, this is a series that people should be excited for. The last thing I really want to look at before we go to the prediction side of thing is the coaching. The experience leans towards Steve Kerr. He's coached multiple championship teams. He's been in the finals six times in his nine, no, seven times now in his nine years. Six of those have been championships with a possibility of a seventh. But Odoko really has impressed me so far. He made some great changes. You know, I talked about the pace and how much they pushed and didn't let the Miami Heat defense set up in Game 7. He has made adjustments, and I think he's done decent in-game adjustments as well. I would need to have a longer in-depth look at that against other coaches. I'd like to look at what he did against Giannis more in-depth as well as this, uh, the Nets, and just games throughout the whole year, because, you know, seven games isn't a huge, huge sample size, and that's the only seven games I'm really hardcore focused on what is each side doing in the Eastern Conference Finals, but Ime has absolutely impressed me. I gotta say, coaching is a toss-up here. Kerr is a good coach with the experience. Ime Odoko is less experienced coach in his first year, but he has really impressed me so far. And so I think coaching is an absolute wash. I think there's a lot that is a wash here. And so my prediction officially is that we have another seven-game series. I think we're going to see a blowout in one of the first two games Golden State's way. I think we're going to see a blowout in Boston as well. There's going to be a game where Boston plays their best defense at home. Especially, I think, if they go down 2-0 and their offense gets going in front of the home crowd, not playing in the finals for a very long time before this. So I think we're going to see multiple blowouts, but I think we're going to see a deep series. And when it comes down to it, defense wins championships. Right now, my prediction is Celtics in seven. And I'm almost already regretting this. I know I've said that time after time. Looking at these teams, how do you stop Steph Curry? Marcus Mont, Jalen Brown, a backcourt back like that is how you do that. Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green are going to be guarding Jason Tatum. Nobody's stopping Jason Tatum right now. Jalen Brown is hitting threes randomly. Sometimes he's super hot. Other times he's super not. I think he's doing what he needs to do. And honestly, unless Victor Oladipo was guarding him last series, he looked like he could really cook some stuff up. 
And I just, I think everything leans towards the Celtics getting their first championship with this core. I think they desperately need it too. I realize the Celtics, I I hope the Celtics realize that. I think there's a, a chance Jason Tatum could be a Celtics lifer, which is weird knowing his love for Kobe Bryant if they win a championship this year. But I think he could very easily leave when the time comes, which is not now. It'll be a while from now. If they don't, this is this is a turning point. They can either become a true title contender every single year right now, or their time could run out very, very quickly. I think Steph is going to be great. I think the defense against Poole is going to be huge. And I think it's going to be good. I think you're going to see Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown play one of them about 38 to 42 minutes almost every game between having to guard Curry, Clay, and Jordan Poole. I think Tatum's going to shut down Wiggins. Wiggins has been huge for this team so far. The Warriors have been huge because Wiggins has been putting up around 20 points on average, shooting well, especially from beyond the arc. But he's not been defended by a guy like Jason Tatum. I don't see anyone being able to guard Tatum and slow him down a considerable amount excuse me, on this team, the Golden State Warriors team. I don't really see Klay Thompson slowing down uh, Jalen Brown, excuse me, I almost said Jordan Poole, Jalen Brown anymore. I think, honestly, there's a lot more going for the Celtics than people realize, on top of the fact that they haven't lost back-to-back games since January. Celtics in seven. I'll be doing game recaps. I'm hoping every single game. And I will update that prediction as things go on. If I feel like something's changing, then yeah, I'll let you know. Um, obviously, if it's like a 3-3 series and I'm feeling, then what? I'll tell you if I feel like it's the Warriors. Uh, but my official prediction at the beginning of this series is Celtics in seven. But only time will tell. Thursday night. It's the first game. Late Thursday night. Expect my first recap. Watch it Thursday. Listen to it Thursday night. Listen to it Friday morning. I don't care. But as always, you're listening to Cuts to the Chase. And we out.